0: Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence Welcome everyone to Claim Your Confidence. I'm Lydia Finette and I'm so delighted that you're here with me today. If you are a person who loves making your home look more beautiful by the day, well, I have the right person for you in front of me. And if you're someone who is interested in building a business, this is the same person. Ariel Kay is with me today and you will have the opportunity to hear everything you need after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Claim Your Confidence, everyone. I'm Lydia Finette, broadcasting out of Newsstand Studio in Rockefeller Center. I hope you all are ready for a great conversation. Welcome, Ariel Kay, to the incredible Claim Your Confidence podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here today. I have so many questions. For those of you who have not heard of Parachute, I can't even imagine that that's true. It is one <laughs> of those companies that is ubiquitous, and I need to hear everything about how it began. So. Why don't you start us off? Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Los Angeles and I lived there for my entire childhood and then moved to New York to go to college. So this is my old stomping grounds.
0: Back where it all began. Exactly. Back where Parachute first came to be. So tell me a little bit about you as a child. Who were you? What did you like to do? Where were your interests? I was a very curious
1: child. I loved playing outdoors. I loved theater. I loved singing. Singing was my biggest passion growing up. I was classically trained. I did solo competitions. I was in many choirs, but really the arts and music and being very creative. My mother works in education, and so a day after school for us was... You know, her writing a play based on whatever topic or theme or story we wanted to tell and us rehearsing in our bedrooms and coming out and doing a show in the afternoon or in the evening. So there was a lot of storytelling going on, which I think was a through line in terms of my career and my passion and what I do at Parachute.
0: It also feels very Los Angeles to grow up with a mom who's <laughs> writing plays, even if she was in education, that that was your afternoon. Yeah, it was <laughs> a, it was a entertainment adjacent, <laughs> for sure. It definitely touched on that. So when you were growing up, what was your personality like? Obviously, if you're in a house where people are putting on shows, and I can say this because we do this with my kids, too. They love nothing more than pinning us to the couch for four to five completely different acts every afternoon. What were you like as a child? Were you confident? Was this something that was in you from the minute you grew up or were you kind of a person who had to be brought out of her shell you know i think a little bit of both the
1: early days of growing up i went to a small school i was definitely bullied as a kid in that school and i think that was a big part of my upbringing had a huge impact on me um in what way confidence which is something obviously that we're talking about but I think just like finding my own and finding my community I think it became very clear to me at a young age that finding your people is so important and it's actually one of my biggest advice for other entrepreneurs is to find your people find your community but as I grew up I went to a bigger school I you know, found my people. I found my hobbies. I played sports. I did more theater and music, and I really found my footing. I don't think I was necessarily entrepreneurial as a child, but I loved to learn. I was really interested in learning. Had an insatiable appetite. You know, got bored easily if I wasn't learning new things. Was doing a ton of extracurriculars. I was in extracurriculars all the time. Um, <laughs> there was always something going on. Summer camp. You know, I think those experiences brought me out of my shell and. How helped me find my way and find a community of people that I related to and that I felt supported by.
0: And so you left LA to move to New York for college. Had you left before that? Or was that really sort of your first time outside of the West Coast moving to the big bad city?
1: I mean, I had done some traveling with family and I had been going to sleepaway camp for summers on the East Coast and on the West Coast, but I knew I wanted to go across the country for school. I had spent a lot of time growing up in New York with my parents and I just had this idea that I wanted to be in this big incredible city where everything seemed possible and I have such formative memories of coming here as a child and, you know, seeing the theater and doing the arts and going to museums and being outside and walking around and walking for miles and miles and miles and just feeling so inspired by the energy here. And it's funny, you're just talking that I just brought my daughter here, you know, and she's four and seeing her love for New York as a four-year-old, I mean, it was a very... It's been a very emotional weekend since um, <laughs> since I arrived in New York and and before coming on this podcast, just watching her experience. The city is very nostalgic and, I don't know, full circle in a way.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I feel like so many people have that New York story. My mom said that when I was 10, it was one of my first times coming to the city. And I just turned to her and said, I'm going to live here one day. She knew that it was true just yeah. because I think for some people it's It's almost like a moth being drawn to a flame. You just for my 10th birthday, I came here with my mom and we saw four
1: plays and we ate incredible meals and we went on a shopping spree and, <laughs> you know, bought all the things and did all the things and it was, you know, one of the most memorable trips of my life. And yeah, I think I was hooked. And you were hooked. So you came back for college. Came back for college. I did grad school here as well. And then I I didn't leave for a long time. I lived here for almost 10 years. And I think if you had asked multiple or any of my friends at that point, you know, if I would move back to LA, the answer would have been no. I was, I was a lifer for a while until I wasn't. Until you weren't. (laughs) Now you're on
0: the beach and probably very happy there too. (laughs) When you were in New York, you went to grad school. None of this was for home at this point. This was not where it all started for you. So talk us through your time in New York. I do love to always give entrepreneurs the seedlings of how something started and then what happens as your idea grows into something.
1: Yeah, so I went to NYU and I was in the Gallatin School, so I got to make up my own major. I was in the School of Individualized Study, which in retrospect is pretty entrepreneurial. You know, it was really on me to create a program and to create a curriculum that NYU deemed degree worthy <laughs> and so graduate worthy exactly and so as a part of that i also was able to do a ton of internships and so i interned in many different industries and you know in fashion and in pr and in tv and music and I bounced around, which I loved. I mean, I, I learned so much from those experiences. And then I went to grad school because after working in PR for a few years, I realized I had no idea what I wanted to do. And grad school seemed like the perfect way to delay my Making future. That decision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I got a master's in media studies from the new school. And it was there that I ended up finding a career in advertising, which is where I worked for many years before I started Parachute. But in 2006, I had been spending a lot of time Helping friends decorate their apartments. I was doing a ton of DIY projects in my own apartment. I loved hosting. I was constantly thinking about how to create beautiful spaces. When my friends moved to new apartments, they would, you know, drag me along shopping to get my input. And I was kind of doing this interior design thing on the side for fun and having a lot of fun with it. I started an interior design blog while I was in grad school that was called Second Story View. And you cannot find it on the internet. I've taken it down. It <laughs> has been um, scrubbed. Yeah, but I live. (laughs) I can find it. You can't find it. Um, But I lived on the second floor apartment and that's where it got the name. And I was, you know, photographing my own design projects. I was photographing other people's apartments that I had helped decorate, you know, doing DIY things. It was just, it was an outlet for me. And, but as a result, I became somewhat of a super consumer. I was shopping for home products a lot. So not an interior designer by trade, had no textile experience, had never worked in retail, but just was consuming
0: and falling more in love with the category and this was adjacent to the job that you were doing at the time. So, this was just something you were sort of doing. It was for like a fun. side project for fun, yes. So, what
1: was your full time job at that point? Advertising? I was working in advertising. So, I was on the strategic side of creative. I was working at a big agency called Digitas. I was, you know, working with big, big clients like American Express and Burger King and Panasonic, like big brands with big budgets. And I was on the strategic side of creative. So, doing a lot of consumer behavior research, really thinking about what motivates and inspires people, which, is not necessarily you know the normal path to becoming an entrepreneur but in retrospect i now realize especially when you're building a consumer brand being a person that is fully obsessed with the consumer mindset is actually a huge advantage <laughs> <laughs> a huge advantage so you were learning without even realizing that this is yeah be i mean i was just you. i was thinking about people and how to connect with people and how to build relationships with people and how to make them curious and inspired and connect and all of these things that as a brand you have to do in order to sell products and build relationships, yeah.
0: It is interesting when you have that sort of cushy job, you know, the nine to five, the job where you get a paycheck, Yes. Yeah. to really start to look at that side hustle and that passion and think to yourself, this might be the time. So what did that look like for you? It
1: was 2012.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was September 1st of 2012.
1: It was during the summer. I had just gotten to a place at my job where I realized that this wasn't a forever job. I was less interested in climbing the corporate ladder. I saw a lot of friends joining early stage companies. It was a pretty cool time in New York. It was really when a lot of the startups and some of these bigger companies were just getting started. And I had a bunch of friends that were going to work at these companies and I was seeing them just love what they were doing. I had friends that were starting their own companies, and I just saw that passion, that desire to build something, you know, getting your hands dirty, really making a huge impact. And I realized that that's what was missing. And I didn't mention the fact that I had worked many different jobs. I was a job hopper. Like if you look at my early resume, it's the thing that no one wants to see when they're when they're submitting <laughs> their resume yeah, six three months, months there, six <laughs> months there. And for some reason, my parents were like, sure look for the next thing. If you can find it, great, you know. Yeah. I realized that I had reached a point in my career where I really wanted to make an impact where I wanted to do something big and I I did not think that that meant starting my own company per se, but I did have this moment in 2012 where I mm-hmm. realized that, you know, I loved what I was doing in advertising as far as building relationships and being that consumer advocate and really thinking about, you know, how to really connect with people and I I loved home. I had that aha moment where I thought, you know, what if, what if there was a way?
0: <laughs> Start us at the very beginning of that journey as an entrepreneur. Tell me what that looks like from that aha moment for the next year. What are you doing? How are you growing your business? How are you looking for investors? I
1: had this aha moment where I thought, you know, if I could merge my interest in home and design and I could merge my interest with building brands and connecting with people, that would be a dream. That would be ideal. You know, that's what I would really love to be doing. Again, it's 2012, <laughs> beginning of 2013. And and D2C as a concept and as an idea was just getting off the ground. Direct-to-consumer businesses were just starting to pop up and there was a lot of enthusiasm and excitement around this new shopping behavior this new value proposition of going direct to consumer cutting out the middleman you know circumventing all of these you know retail markups and getting that premium quality to the customer and as a consumer myself i was into it. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I want to shop. I want to buy products from brands that are thinking about me and that are appealing to me, that care about quality and are changing things, are shaking things up, are looking to do stuff differently. And it felt fresh and different and inspired. And so I... Started big and I thought, you know, I I want to build a home brand. And then I realized that that was big and (laughs) and challenging. And so I thought, you know, if I was really going to do this, where would I start? And so by the end of 2012, I had narrowed in on the bedroom. And I thought, you know, you spend a third of your life in bed. Sleep is the most Important part of health and happiness and productivity, and all of these things that matter in our lives. And the bedroom is the most intimate part of the home. And, you know, what if I could create a product and tell a story about the best night of sleep that you might ever have? People might be into that. You know, that might be interesting. And I realized that there wasn't a brand in this space. You know, people could tell me, oh, yeah, I went to this store or that store, but no one could tell me a brand on their bed. And as someone who had been helping build brands, I realized that this was a one in a million. Like it's so rare to find a category where a brand doesn't exist.
0: And I became obsessed. What was your first call when you figured this out? Who was on the other end of that call? And what did you say? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I had dinner one night
1: with a friend of mine who is Currently on my board and has been my biggest champion and cheerleader since the very beginning. I was at a restaurant called the Mermaid Inn on second oh, Ave. Mermaid <laughs> Inn, Fifth Ave, or Fifth Street. I remember that well. And I the great chocolate crème. Yeah, I said, I have this idea. Like I have this crazy idea. But like, I can't do it, you know, I, well, how could I do it? I have no experience, I've never worked in retail, I've never worked at home, I've never built a brand before, I'm not entrepreneurial, I don't have a finance background. You know, I, I had a whole list of reasons why I couldn't do it.
0: Put a pin in that for a second. Sure. And I just wanna to say to everyone who is out there who has a self-doubt spiral, when you're sitting in front of someone who is crushing it as an entrepreneur, to hear that they too started <laughs> out with a list of things that they couldn't do, And we're seated across obviously from someone who said the opposite.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so my friend said, I've never said this before, but you're a founder. And I was like, what, me? He was like, I wouldn't say this to anyone or anyone that I didn't mean it, but you can do this. You can build this business. This is a great idea. I'm going to help you. He is a serial entrepreneur, you know, had a ton of experience, but he said, you can do this. And that shifted something. (laughs) It was a vote of confidence. It was someone that saw me in a way that I didn't see myself and... It gave me the courage and validation that I needed to take a leap of faith. And I took a leap of faith. I quit my job. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. Almost immediately. Almost immediately. And what did you do next? This was the end of the year. I started putting together a business plan, which, you know, wasn't really a business plan, but more an idea, an outline, you know, what I wanted to be, the problem we were going to solve. I think I Googled like, what is a pitch deck? And it was like eight different slides. You know, it's like, The idea, the challenge, the problem, the solution, the opportunity. I made those slides, you know, I tried to really conceptualize what this could look like, but I became obsessed. I became the person I saw all my friends becoming when they were working at these companies and they were so consumed and they were so excited. I was doing so much research. I mean, I was learning anything and everything, but ultimately I quit my job and I got on a plane and I went to Europe and I visited 15 factories because I knew that in order to make products, I needed to know how they were made. I needed to have a supplier. I really needed to understand how they were made.
0: So, where did you even find the list for 15 factories? (laughs) This is what I always find so interesting about the entrepreneur. And I really get into the brass tacks because I do find it Amazing that that was your next step. You you thought to yourself, okay, so now I've got to go visit fifteen factories in Europe. Most people would be like, and now I need to sit in front of my computer <laughs> and Google things about how to start a company. Well, so there was a lot of googling involved. <laughs> okay, just making <laughs> sure this wasn't was like Like, a where
1: are factories? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what um, do I, factories do? Yeah, yeah. I'm
1: like what is a factory? <laughs> um, as someone who had helped build brands and really less build brands, but was on the consumer side and really thinking about how to connect with customers, I intuitively knew that there were going to be two things that mattered, maybe three. There was going to be the story of how things are made and the heritage and the quality. And there was going to have to be some sort of compelling narrative around why and differentiation. And because, you know, anyone can get someone to buy something, but whether you get someone to come back really depends on the quality of the product. So in doing my research and in realizing that there was no brands in this category, what I did learn was that people associated quality with Italy and with Portugal and with these countries where there was this heritage, where these products have been being made for a lot of, years, hundreds of years, but they're also so expensive. You know, people said, you know, I've heard of Frette, I've heard of this brand, I've heard of that brand, but they cost a thousand dollars. I could never buy a sheet set. So I knew I had to go to Europe and I knew that if I could get that product from that region and have that same sort of heritage story, that I would at least be able to close that trust gap, hopefully enough that people would say, oh, they must be good quality
0: because you're not just buying sheets from Italy that aren't good. Yeah, how could that be? (laughs) So what is going right during this process and what is going wrong for you?
1: I would say that that first year of just preparation, figuring things out, going to Europe, finding the factory, coming back to LA, having a to-do list that was so long that I didn't even know where to begin. I mean, it was just, it was highs and lows. You know, there were days where I felt like this is the best idea ever. I am going to nail it. This is major. I, I'm like, I'm going to be the you know most successful person on the planet. The Martha Stewart. Of yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me now. You know, like, it's so nice to meet you <laughs> to literally being like, I'm going to lose my mind and, yeah. and fully I having less. Yeah. Tomorrow. And I am okay. like having a full spiral, like mental breakdown. And sometimes those emotions were happening in the course of like 10 minutes, you know, like it was <laughs> it was rough. But, you know, I will say I got back to L.A. even more excited, even more consumed with this idea, even more passionate about the fact that this was. Was a great idea and it was going to happen. And I needed to see it through. But I also had this whole idealized version of what that all meant. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, I've got this great idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. Like we can all agree. Everyone's telling me it's a great idea. So I'll be able to raise money. I'll be able to pay myself salary. I'll be able to hire people. And then, you know, we'll launch a few months later and like it'll just all be great. But That's not the reality. No, I'm no, no, no yeah. that wasn't the reality. So I, you know, I, I got back to LA, I started talking to investors. I like ran into the whole like chicken and the egg, catch 22 people are like, that's a great idea. You seem good enough. You know, you've never done this before, but like, it seems like you think you can. But I want to see more traction. I want to see more progress before I give you money. And so raising money was not happening. I mean, it just wasn't. And, and this is 2013? This is now 2013. Okay. we are now moved, in 2012. we tw- moved out of 2012. Out of 2012. <laughs> um, yeah, we're now in 2013 and I'm back in LA and, and I had decided to raise money and I, I just couldn't. I mean, it was... No one no one was interested in giving me money. People were interested in giving me money later. Um, but, you know, there were, I was a first-time founder with no experience. I was a sole founder. I had not one person
0: working with me or for me, which people were like, you sure you can't find one person that wants to do this with you? But you said that this is something that's continued along in your career as well. Like, this is your company. Yes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I
1: mean, I, 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 I did a lot more Googling. I figured out how to do something. Things you know, I I ended up figuring out how to get some product, but I ended up joining an accelerator program, um, which gave me like a first um, amount of capital that I was able to receive into my bank account, and the next day send to Italy. (laughs) It's like a one. It was more of a conduit. It was to to, Italy. It went in and came out, but to buy my first batch of inventory, and so in buying my first batch of inventory, I was able to
0: launch a business. And when that first batch of inventory arrived were you sort of like this is it or you were just like i can't believe that this has finally happened and oh my god what have i done
1: it was both i mean it was still like a team of one at that point in working with an accelerator i had an office to go to i had like met an amazing group of other entrepreneurs which helped me find place and purpose and gave me a network of people to commiserate with and to celebrate with and to learn from and you know all of a sudden working until 3 a.m was less lonely and more fun and and exciting. And, you know, there was someone to eat cold pizza with, you know, and so that made things easier. But yeah, all of a sudden I had these boxes of sheets that I moved into a storage unit, you know, which was my warehouse. And yeah, it was just this team of one trying to figure out what what I was doing. So what happened next? I launched a website, I mean, a parachute home com And I started selling products. Early days, they were like people that I was begging to buy products. And it was very obvious. It was like, you know, a friend of a friend. You know, I'd look at the orders, you know, in a course of a week and I'd be like, well, I can map everyone. And then we really officially launched. So there was a period of time where we kind of pre-launched and then we launched in January 2014. And I had spent My first few years out of college working in PR, and I was a big believer of PR and launch press and that launch moment and how important that was in a brand's life cycle. I don't have money to spend on marketing, so I'm going to spend it on PR and I'm going to get press and I'm going to pray and hope and fingers crossed that this does something. And sure enough, we got really good press that first week that I launched. And all of a sudden it went from three orders to 10 orders to 30 orders to... I'm gonna need a bigger warehouse you
0: know and it, it was wild i heard that same advice from molly Fining, who started baby Eaters. that mm-hmm. was her first company and i heard her speak at a conference probably six or seven years ago it was a couple of years before my first book launched and she said the same thing about pre-launch press and said you will never in your life regret spending money on the press for the launch of whatever you're doing. And yeah. It was the truest statement I've ever, and a huge shout out to my PR team who is incredible. And I always forget how important it is because the other thing that you often don't think about press is press begets press. Exactly. The minute one article hits, there's another person who calls. And it's the power of suggestion, you know, this person would be good for this. And that just is completely part of the press cycle that you don't really think about. So. The press has obviously helped you grow. Is your company able to keep up with the press at this point? No. (laughs) just flat.
1: No, No. I had spent every penny on the inventory. You know, the money came in, went, and I had this inventory thinking it would last a few months. And all of a sudden it was gone. And so we were able to get more inventory and then it was more press. And at at that point, I mean, the business was just kind of event driven, you know, but press baguette press, you know, so Mm -hmm. the press had a long tail, you know, people would see the stories, you know, we would, people would share them. Other people would call because they saw the press and people like just writing about new businesses. But yeah, there was that first year was we were sold out a lot that was really hard for me i mean i think as someone who's a control freak and a perfectionist and (laughs) um, all the things that many entrepreneurs are it was really challenging to be in that position and to think that you know we're missing all these orders or there was a moment we we had this small blurb mentioned in the Wall Street Journal, and all of a sudden, you know, we we were sold through our next shipment and then had pre-ordered and miscalculated, and we were sold through the next one. All of a sudden, I'm writing people emails saying, it'll be four to six months before you get, get your, your bedding. <laughs> <laughs> people are like, what? You know, and I will say most people said, you know, thank you and congratulations. And I appreciate the honesty and transparency and, you know, it's hard to start a business. And then there are other people that were like, learn how to start a business, you know? And, yeah. you know,
0: but. And you're like, delete. Yeah, I'm number. like, well. <laughs> next time I will I'm when I start trying. my next business. Yeah.
1: But yeah, you know, I mean, it, I think it was a good lesson in just transparency and how to, you know, the bar sets so low from a customer experience perspective. Is you that know, right? I think so. I think it's getting better. I think brands are realizing how important it is to foster a positive relationship with customers, but, you know, 10-ish, nine years ago, I don't think that kind of care was being put into those channels. And so I don't think there's a lot of transparency from big box retailers when you were emailing them with a complaint or a question or a request. And, you know, I also was the founder emailing every single person saying, "I'm so sorry that this has happened." You know, I just started this business, and I'm you know so excited. Just learning, to, yeah, I'm learning, and like I'm also so grateful that you know you've taken a risk and a shot at our products, and you know I can't wait for you to feel them. It's just gonna, it's just gonna be a minute. It's be about <laughs> half a year, that you're gonna yeah. get them. You'll you'll see them in a few years.
0: So, is that the point at which you start building a team? Yes. So, talk to me about how you found your team and what that looked like. I made my first tire about a month after I
1: launched. And I think one of my superpowers has always been just an awareness around my strengths and my weaknesses, and with pretty low ego attached to it. You know, I, I knew that I needed help and I knew that I needed to bring people in that were smarter than me and were experts in parts of the business that I just didn't have the background, especially finance and modeling and planning and inventory management, all these things that I just had no experience that are really critical to the success of a consumer brand. So, I mean, my first hire, it was a person who could wear many hats, but had a finance background and could build models and could, you know, really help think about planning. But neither of us had ever bought inventory before. So, you know, he was using various... Equations for trading and things. We were just, we were just, you know, the blind leading the blind. But I was able to hire a few people that were able to support the business. But I had a lot of insecurity around my first hires because I couldn't pay people, you know, what they deserved to be paid. It delayed my desire to hire people longer than it should have. I don't think I realized that people would be excited about the opportunity to get into a company from the ground up. And it was really just all about finding people that shared your vision and your excitement and passion for that stage. There's so many people that love that part of the growth. It's such a unique, special moment when you're getting a brand off the ground. And I just assumed that no one would want that, that no one would be able to sacrifice or that no one would take a risk or that no one would believe in me. Like there was a lot of that swirling around. Yeah, it took some time before I got confident enough to be like, wait, no, this is cool. Like this is people want people want to work here. Like this is great.
0: So were you raising money at this point? Were you able to go back to say to people, OK, I'm yes. improving myself here? Yeah. So
1: I launched in January 2014. we we'll get back to the timeline. And by March, I had raised a million dollars. So I launched the business. We had this incredible early traction. And Relatively speaking, that was the easiest amount of capital that I was able to raise. There was early momentum and I was able to get people excited.
0: And so what happened after that?
1: A lot more pressure. It was build time. You know, I hired more people. I was able to buy more inventory. I was able to kind of start dabbling in some marketing initiatives and and testing, but really it was just kind of still one foot in front of the other and trying to stay
0: afloat and trying to not make mistakes that would take the business. Um, It's nice to hear in a way that you can just move forward and have the faith that things are going to work out in some regard, that you're not a hundred steps ahead being like, okay, this is the plan, this is the strategy. Because I know some people have come in here, they're like, I knew exactly what I was going to do. It's nice to hear that a lot of it for you was figuring it out because that's also a strategy for doing anything in life. And I think a lot of people, they don't feel like they have enough confidence in themselves to be able to do that, to trust to themselves through that process.
1: You know, I think early on, I was like, all right, so we're gonna launch with bedding and we're gonna do bedding for a year and then we're gonna launch bath and then we're gonna do this. And I had this like every year we should launch a new category and this and that, and then we're gonna do retail and And I think very early on, I realized that everything was gonna take a lot longer than expected and that also, that this accelerated timeline was not going to do me any favors. Right. And that I really needed to focus on on doing what we were doing well and better than well. You know, I realized that like building a brand, a multi-category brand, a lifestyle brand is certainly not a sprint. It's a long, long, long marathon. And we would be better off slowing down our growth initiatives and just pushing ourselves to be the best version of what we were today back then instead of trying to be bigger and do more. Yeah. That was like a big sigh of relief once I was able to really see that we would have time to do all of those things, but they didn't need to happen in the first year of yeah. launch. But I think, you know, that's part of the pressure you feel as an entrepreneur. You know, you launch a business and then people are like, what's next? What's next? So you, you hit this milestone, you know, you did a million in revenue. When are you going to do five? When are you gonna do 10? I mean, it's like everything in life. You know, people are always... Putting up artificial timelines. Yeah, artificial timelines, you know. And once I was able to filter out some of that noise and like really develop a clear point of view about what Parachute was and was going to be and what I wanted the brand to serve and all of that, we were able to focus on doing what we
0: do best. And that's, I think, a huge part of our success today. At what point in this journey did you have children? Um, What advice could you give for someone who is an entrepreneur who is also having children at the same time? running a business. Is there anything that you can say to help give someone confidence that this is something that they can do and that they can manage this, even though it could be a little crazy at times? When I started Parachute, I made this commitment
1: to myself that Parachute came first. Mm-hmm. I was starting this business. I was taking it really seriously. This was like, I had just turned 30. I you know, was like, this is it. Like, This is my time. If it's not now, then it'll never happen. Um, I want to do this and I'm going to put it first. I'm going to miss birthday parties. I'm going to miss trips. I'm going to miss these things. Like, I'm like fully okay with that because this is my number one priority. I knew I always wanted to have kids and I knew that that was an important thing to me. My daughter was born in January, 2019, and at that point I did have a team, you know, I did feel more secure, but I didn't take maternity leave. I was terrified to step away from the business. I, you know, didn't know what was going to happen. I think most moms would tell you that having kids makes you more efficient. It makes you more mindful of your time. It makes you more present. I'm so happy working, like it's such an important part of my life. And it fills me up in a way that, you know, my kids fill me up as well and i love them but it's so important for me and for my kids to see me love what i do and you know i brought my daughter to the parachute store and you know and she's like like, this is my this is mama's store you know and it's like and and you know she's still pretty young but you know she gets it and she's excited about it and i'm so grateful for my community of founder moms they are like my lifeline in so many ways and so you know having that community and finding people who are going through similar phases to just Pick you up when you need to be picked up, and to give you that text. Yeah, exactly. And also, yeah, yeah, you know, and that just get it. Community is so important. But yeah, I mean, there's never a good time for anything. You know, it's just you just got to do the things that you want to do.
0: I remember going away on maternity leave. I'd worked. I'd been at my company at the time for 13 years. When I left on my first maternity leave, and I remember saying to everyone, "You know, I'm going to be back the minute I have the baby," and all of this stuff. And I wasn't. In fact, I turned off. I'd had. I just turned off my phone for the first time in 13 years. I just turned it off. Incredible. And I took maternity leave. I took the time. And I remember when I was going back the night before, I was hysterical. I could not stop crying. And I remember just everything about it just felt so heavy to leave Beatrice at home. And I was so sad. And I remember walking back into the same office that I'd worked for for 13 years and sitting at my desk and also feeling at the same time, wait, this is a part of me too. Mm And I'd forgotten that on maternity leave because with the sleepless nights and all of the things, the diapers, and you just forget that there is this other part that does give you a spark. Yeah, That's something that you want. There's so much energy and life in that too. And I agree, my children have seen me on stages. They come with me on trips. And there is such beauty in that. And I know that there are so many moms who will appreciate hearing that from you because it is such a tough thing as women to be juggling both the full-on work and the full-on life of as a mom and wanting to be good at both of those things. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I will just say that I don't recommend not taking maternity leave. That's not like...
1: But do it it however
0: you do it. Yeah.
1: But I, I do think it's really important. And I think for me, in retrospect, there's parts of me that wish I did and I didn't for both kids, so I didn't learn my lesson. But, you know, for me, if you look at my calendar and my calendar's open for my entire team to see, you know, I have times blocked off throughout my day. You know, I take my son to a music class. I do this. I pick up my daughter. You know, I try to model the importance of work and family and whatever else is passionate and
0: makes you happy. And I think that's important. I really do feel like when you think of balance, it's so equal, but also so difficult, there's no way to do it. I just try to keep one side from hitting the ground while the other one is sky high (laughs) 99% of the time. If I can get like 80, 20, I feel like I am absolutely crushing my week. Totally. So you have created Parachute to be what you ultimately wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are taking over category after category. What happens next for parachute? Oh, there's so much. We're building a brand that I hope my
1: grandkids are shopping from. You know, we really want to be the ubiquitous name in home and in comfort and in quality. And, you know, we open our 25th store and we've got more coming. And, you know, we're doing what we continue to do best, which, you know, I believe is create beautiful products and build beautiful spaces for people to shop and you know, we think about the people and the planet and doing what we do with care um, and with attention to detail and with a real love and passion for community and for our customers and. I still feel so much gratitude for what I get to do and the people I get to work alongside and I never ever ever get old or tired of hearing someone say I sleep on your sheets I'm like you do?
0: What? <laughs> really? That's amazing. Um,
1: you know and it but it it motivates me and inspires me and I'm still having so much fun. And we're almost, I mean, we're nine and nine and change
0: in, you know. It, I've been doing this for 10 full years. It's wild. And I can tell that they're going to be many, many years in fact. I of you. sure hope so. Yeah. Well, Ariel, thank you so much for spending your time with us. I know you're a busy woman, and I My appreciate pleasure. you stopping by Newstand Studios to talk with me. And I want to leave our listeners with one question for you. You have spoken many times over the course of this interview about the community of people who lift you up. Who are you surrounding yourself with to make sure in those times when you're not feeling strong is around to lift you up? So DM me, DM Ariel, let her know, and please come back and listen again. Newsstand Studios, thank you for hosting us, Joe. Thank you for producing this and making it sound as good as you always do. Thank you to Rockefeller Center for creating this amazing place for us to do all of this. I'm Lydia Finette. This is Claim Your Confidence. I hope you will tune in again next week. Thanks for listening.